This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Imagine a patient who requires a partial jaw resection for a malignancy. Instead of leaving the patient with extreme disfigurement, the patient has bone removed from another area of their body and have it develop into a replacement jaw. Or the patient who requires resection of their tongue and their treatment consists of transferring tissue from another location in the patient and allow it to develop into a replacement tongue. These aren't some far-fetched stories you might see in a science fiction movie. This is current state-of-the-art reconstructive surgery. And even more exciting is the potential for these procedures to become far less invasive using regenerative medicine techniques. So today we're gonna to speak with a reconstructive otolaryngology surgeon who performs this amazing work and hear about the potential for regenerative reconstructive surgery. Our guest today is Dr. Richard Hayden, an otolaryngologist, head and neck surgeon from the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. Rick, welcome. Thank you, Daryl. Pleasure to be here. You know, despite the fact that uh, we both have an MD after our name, after reading the work that you're doing, our worlds are so different. You know, it's just amazing <laughs> the difference. Well, let's talk about the role that regenerative medicine plays in reconstructive surgery. Well, it, it's an exciting concept for me and has been quite candidly for decades. It, as a reconstructive surgeon, I'm faced with major defects of the head and neck face, which are socially debilitating, functionally really marginalizing of the patient. And so I've devoted my career to reconstructing uh, many of these defects uh, with uh, some complex technology, some of which uh, you alluded to. An example would be the mandible. If you're historically missing your mandible, you're faced with a few problems, chewing, facial aesthetics, uh, even speaking. So uh, we have found, given the triad of trouble that exists in reconstructing oral cavity, nasal, sinus de defects, that the areas are, are contaminated, they're dirty because of their nature, they're mobile, and they have a poor blood supply because the majority of these patients come by their defects from cancer resection. And so reconstructing in a dirty and mobile environment with a poor blood supply because it's been radiated demands that you bring the patient's own tissues. A cancer patient, for example, could never receive immunotherapy uh, such that you could transplant someone else's jawbone because the immunotherapy would trigger their cancer, which would explode, and the rest is not for this conversation. So you need the patient's own vascularized tissue. So in a case like the mandible, we borrow a bone that we're not walking on. We're walking on our tibias, but the fibula provides a marvelous donor bone. And we've used this since 1989 to reconstruct the mandible. And the skin of the calf is used to reconstruct the oral lining or, or tongue that's missing. And this tissue has to be vascularized. In other words, you bring it up using microvascular free tissue transfer techniques, uh, wherein the leg bone and skin are replaced uh, into the uh, defect, but then the artery and vein from the leg are anastomosed to an artery and vein in the neck. Blood flow is restored to the transferred donor tissue. And within six weeks, that fibula has healed 
to the native mandible. The soft tissues in the mouth have sealed the contaminated cavity from the neck. And you can put osseointegrated implants into this transferred fibula such that they have dentition equal to what they would have had uh, prior to the removal of their mandible. The problem is not everybody has two fibulae available in their leg or other fallback donors like the scapula or the iliac crest. Number two, the techniques require a lot of expertise, uh, hospital time, expense. And number three, this is donor surgery as well as recipient surgery. So it's a, it's a big deal for patient, family, surgeon, institution, hospital, and the healthcare uh, economics of the day. Wouldn't it be better if we could manufacture, if you will, using the patient's own stem cells, a replacement mandible? So case in point, if you could build a scapula or fibula construct that looked like a mandible using 3D printing, populate it with stem cells that have been differentiated into bone or skin or cartilage, whatever is required, and build it either in vivo or ex vivo in a bioreactor, and then simply transfer it to the patient. No donor tissue required. And that's, we think, the future. Well, in otolaryngology, what limitations and what challenges do you have with the current standard of care surgical approaches? Well, I think some of those limitations are built into, for example, otolaryngology covers the entire head and neck, uh, with the exception of the brain and the eyeballs. So in that area, the cancer patients, as we just mentioned, they're limited by the treatment that they've had attendant with their removal. But there are other limitations built into the head and neck. For example, if you lose your external ear, Reconstructing that external ear is a time-consuming, complicated, multi-staged operation where you have to bring the patient's own cartilage because an ear is made up of cartilage covered in skin. And so you've got to develop using the patient's own donor cartilages, a framework that looks like an ear. Uh, you've got to cover it with tissues that belong to that patient. And then you've got to get it placed into a proper alignment. So a replacement ear that's sitting up here on the forehead would really not pass muster. So it's got to be representative of what's missing. All the things I've just mentioned about stem cell differentiation, scaffold building, that's the future of building ears. But there's more to the ear, for example, I speak for myself only, but typical of many people in our culture, I suffer the vicissitudes of time. It's I don't hear as well as I used to. And that hearing loss, which is called presbycusis, fancy name for old age hearing loss, is really a loss of hair cells, they're called, inside the hearing organ, the cochlea. They've degenerated over time. And we're currently uh, treating that either with hearing aids or in extreme cases with cochlear implants but almost always with angry spouses uh, tuning in. And so wouldn't it be better if we could use the patient's own stem cells and uh, differentiate them to uh, hair cells and further differentiate them into high-frequency and low-frequency hair cells so that that hearing loss could be, A, arrested, if not delayed and then arrested, and B, reversed. 
And so that's where uh, one of the future directions go in otolaryngology. Right. Uh, the same in the nose. I mean, uh, we talk about rebuilding, reconstructing an external nose. We've done it for a long time using forehead skin, cartilage from the ears, cartilage from the ribs. These are multi-staged, prolonged operations that require some level of expertise that isn't widely available. But again, if we could build using 3D bioprinting, a construct made from the patient's own stem cells that were differentiated into a cartilaginous framework for the nose, skin for the external lining of the nose, and mucous membrane for the internal lining of the nose, and transfer that to the recipient defect, uh, that would be a far cry from where we are currently. So those, those are some of the challenges. Well, before we get into some of the regenerative medicine therapies, I'd like to learn a little bit more about what you're currently doing. So you, you, you can replace one's mandible. What other reconstructive work do you do personally? Well, I rebuild ears, as I mentioned, noses. Uh, most frequent reconstructions in my practice are upper jaw bones and lower jaw bones, maxillas, mm -hmm. mandibles and throats. And when you get down into the throat, it, you've got the pharynx, the swallowing tube, and the larynx. And I think one of the areas where we feel we're making real uh, headway, moving from the state-of-the-art reconstructive techniques that we've been using, would be in the larynx. And I have a colleague of mine, Dr. David Lott, runs the laryngeal research lab here and in regenerative medicine. And he and I have sort of pushed the boundaries a little bit with uh, an example of uh, reconstructing the hemilarynx or half of the larynx, usually lost again for cancer. So, you know, we call the vocal cords vocal cords, but every mammal has them, but yet they don't have voices. So we don't call them vocal cords. So there must have been some other teleologic argument for developing those folds. And in fact, they are the gatekeepers of the lungs. So our vocal folds or our, our vocal cords, they open when we breathe and they close when we cough, speak, or swallow. And if one of them's missing, the other one opens to breathe, but the gap is too great. So when it closes, two things happen. We aspirate because the gates to the lungs are not closed. And two, we can't really phonate or cough because we can't build the pressure of closed vocal cords. So in those cancer patients or sometimes trauma patients who've lost half of their voice box, a vertical half, we historically have reconstructed that defect by putting in a, and it has to be uh, autologous tissue, a framework that keeps the missing vocal cord replacement in the midline the good vocal cord can then open for breathing and then close against this replacement for speaking or coughing and restore near normal speech and swallowing. Well, that again required using tissues from various parts of the body and sometimes uh, repeat operations. So we've sort of pushed into the regenerative realm here. The lining has to be autologous and watertight. And we've developed a flap from under the chin, which uses the mylohyoid muscle, which is vascularized like any muscle, but when it atrophies, as any denervated muscle does, it provides a wonderful vascularized, mucosalized lining for the new construct in the larynx. 
What's really changed from a regenerative medicine point of view is that instead of borrowing cartilage from the rib or elsewhere to build the framework, we've gone to our 3D printing that exists in the lab. And we print out based upon a CAT scan of the preoperative patient's voice box or larynx. And then we transfer that to a printed model of what the endolarynx should look like on the resected side. So the replacement model is then brought to the operating room, uh, put into the defect, and then the flap, the vascularized muscle from under the skin is dropped into A, secure it as a watertight separation from the contaminated aerodigestive tract, and B, when that muscle atrophies provide a nice mucosal lining uh, over the construct. So when one looks at those reconstructed laryngeas a couple of months down the road, they basically look like they have a paralyzed vocal cord on one side and a mobile vocal cord on the other. And the function, both speaking and swallowing, is excellent. But Dr. Lott's research will take us much further down that road. In the long term, we're looking at organ replacement. And again, uh, that's a way off, but the day will come. But also going back to the Prisby adjective, the aging adjective where regenerative medicine really emanates, you can get Presby laryngus. Honestly, Frank Sinatra didn't sound as good in his later years as he did in his 20s. And part of the reason for that is aging of uh, the laryngeal musculature, but also aging of the lining of the larynx. And so Dr. Lott is uh, developing techniques wherein using stem cells, uh, we can simply uh, delay, arrest, or in fact, reverse the degenerative changes in the lining over the vocal cords. Simple in-office uh, procedure uh, in the near future will be an answer for Presby Laryngus, or old folks' voices. Amazing stuff. Well, what are the major difficulties that you're seeing in enabling patient access to these regenerative medicine therapies? I think the major difficulty, and again, it's coming through the eyes of an educator. Uh, the major difficulties are educational. Uh, the education not only of the patient population, but of our own healthcare delivery system. And so we've devoted ourselves at Mayo to trying to insinuate ourselves between the hope and the hype axis that the public uh, is exposed to every time they open a magazine on an airplane and bring some perspective to what's currently available and what will hopefully be available in the future. And to do that, we've really addressed all aspects of that patient public profile. First, by educating medical students with selectives in now the first year and the fourth year, and we've been doing that now for seven years. We also have developed online learning modules for the public and for the medical community writ large, and those will continue to be produced and kept timely, I might add. The problem with many online learning modules is that you can present state-of-the-art information 
in a rapidly growing new field, that information may change in the next couple of years. So these modules have to be constantly upgraded. We've developed a PhD program at the Mayo Clinic uh, Graduate School to develop Mayo graduates in with PhD degrees in regenerative sciences. And perhaps equally importantly, we've launched this year a master's program for healthcare workers. Now that includes allied health, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, and equally important to graduate medical educators in the residency programs in medicine and surgery. The emphasis right now is more heavily on neuroscience uh, in regenerative medicine writ large is neuroscience musculoskeletal reconstructive surgery, but it will expand over time. I mean, CAR-T is probably one of the major billboards for regenerative medicine in the world of cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, better spoken to uh, by someone in a higher pay grade than myself, but it's constantly changing. So I think to overcome that, we've addressed education as our major challenge, but we've also opened a hotline, a RegMed referral service at the Mayo Clinic, where patients who've been getting uh, maybe too much or too little information slash hype uh, can call in and get directed to sources that will give them a true picture of what is available now, what might be available soon, and what is really just not available anywhere, no matter what they've heard. Yeah. Well, I think of the groups that need educating, the public certainly does. There's just so many clinicians out there promoting regenerative medicine therapy, stem cells, PRP, for conditions that they can't really treat. And this has really misled the public. So I think the public really deserves some education about what realistic ideas you can get and what's real in terms of treatment from regenerative therapy. I couldn't agree more. That's our biggest frustration. And where where we've tried to put our most educational efforts, I might add. Well, where do you see regenerative therapy going in terms of reconstructive surgery in the next, say, five years? I think in the next five years, and we're, we're this close. I mean, I've, I've got patients who uh, don't have donor bones available. By the way, back to my comments about a contaminated, poorly vascularized surgical field, you can't put foreign materials in there. That was tried in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And the separation between the contaminated oral sinonasal cavity and uh, any material has to be watertight. So I see our human cell therapy lab. We're currently working on uh, differentiating a patient's stem cells down lines for bone regeneration or cartilage regeneration and uh, building the scaffolds, which will be biocompatible to accommodate these differentiated cells. And then using 3D bioprinters to print the layers of cells we want appropriate to the defect requirements. So the bone may actually have to be covered by mucous membrane or by skin or by something other than that. An example would be a jaw joint replacement for people who have temporal mandibular joint problems. And then we cross pollinate with the orthopedic and musculoskeletal world where we will probably be building bone replacements that have a cartilage cap on them for replacing these problematic problems. It's staying inside that oral world 
people who lose their teeth nowadays uh, can usually get an osseointegrated implant with either a single tooth or a number of implants that will hold a bridge that's a permanently affixed denture. Well, there's got to be enough bone in the maxilla, the upper jaw, or the mandible to accept those implants. And sometimes that's a problem after they've been edentulous for a while. So Mm -hmm. I see one of the early areas in the next five years as bone augmentation, both in the maxilla and the mandible, just to allow, not with a removal of what's there, but augmenting what's there, and to allow osseointegrated implants to give them back dentition. Mm-hmm. So I think that the hair cell regeneration for hearing loss, sadly, I think that's a ways off, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be here in five years. Totally rebuilding a nose ex vivo or an ear ex vivo. No, it's not going to be here in five years, but in vivo, it might be. In other words, building that construct on the patient with a vascularized pedicle to take it where you want it, that may be here without requiring a donor loss of bone, cartilage, any other tissues. Every time we borrow a tissue, I mean, there's no way around it. There is a a donor morbidity attached to that. And it would be far superior if we didn't have to do that, but use the patient's own tissues via their stem cells to build it in vivo or ex vivo, extracorporeal. You need a bioreactor if you're going to build anything outside the body, but in either case, I, I think mandible augmentation, uh, if not replacement, may be here at the end of five years. Okay. Now, you've, you've mentioned 3D printers several times. It sounds yes, like sir. the development of the 3, 3D printer has given you a really valuable tool in reconstructive surgery. Is that the case? Very much so. And, it, and even before the regenerative medicine aspect, 3D printing really helped a lot with alloplastic printed materials. And these can be just for augmentation of facial skeletal inadequacies, for example, chin implants, cheek implants. But it's really when we get to 3D bioprinting that it gets exciting because now you can actually print not just alloplastic materials, but you can actually print living cells in layers that you choose. And that's still got a way to go. Uh, but that is the most exciting aspect of 3D printing for, for us. Because if you have a 3D bioprinter, it can print the inert scaffold, but it can also print viable cell replacement layers. It's a good time to be in the reconstructive world. Yeah, I can see that. And, and, and for patients who need our services. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, let's let, Rick, let's conclude by having you give maybe two or three key points of interest in uh, regenerative reconstructive surgery? I think the first point has to be the one that we alluded to, and that is patients need a realistic expectation. And that's where we use things like the Mayo Clinic referral service to, to make sure they understand what it is that's available and not what they might hope and have been led to believe might be available. So in the reconstructive world, I think that Uh, The state of the art is so far superior to what it was, I know, when I was a trainee. And regenerative medicine can only evolve it in a positive direction. Well, we've been discussing reconstructive surgery and the potential for how regenerative reconstructive surgery may impact patient care with Dr. Richard Hayden, 
a reconstructive surgeon, otolaryngologist at the Mayo Clinic. Rick, thank you so much for this fascinating information you shared with us. Pleasure, Daryl. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week. Music